Welcome back to our second podcast in this series on intentionally living for Christ. My name is Alyssa Dunker, and I'm grateful that you've joined me today. I don't know about you, but these days, I'm prone to losing heart. There are particular pains in my life that if pressed long enough, I submit to despair. And it's tough to get out of that place, especially when the situation that triggered the discouragement doesn't change or even might get worse. Today, we are going to talk about how to live intentionally for Christ when we experience disappointment and suffering. But how do we live well when life hurts? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and chapter 4, verse 16, Paul writes, We do not lose heart. To lose heart means to become utterly spiritless, to be wearied out, to be exhausted. There are many times in my life when I have lost heart. What I want to know is how Paul didn't lose heart amid pressure on top of pressure. That's what we're going to try to figure out today. When I lived overseas, home robberies were common. It was a cash, not credit card society, so people had to find creative ways to hide their money if thieves crashed through their doors in the middle of the night. I know someone who hid a lot of money in her father's suit pockets that were hanging in the closet. Unfortunately, thieves broke in, saw the suits, and because they had resale value, they stole every one of them. Because the item that held the money had its own worth, this woman and her father had a double loss, and I'm guessing the thieves had no idea what they had gained. I searched the internet to find creative ways to hide treasure. In my opinion, one of the most brilliant ideas was putting money or valuables in a small plastic container, then burying the container in a large bucket of kitty litter. No one's going to steal the kitty litter, and the thief isn't going to take the time to look around to see if you actually have a cat. Now, if you tried this at home and put $100 inside your kitty litter, that kitty litter will be worth a bit more than $100. If you put $10,000 in the kitty litter, well, you have some very expensive kitty litter. The value of a common, ordinary item becomes the value of the treasure that it holds. What does this kitty litter have to do with not losing heart? Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. I'm reading from the ESV. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In Paul's day, everyone had clay jars. They were everyday items made from the dust of the earth, commonly used to carry water. They could easily crack or chip. They were not meant to last forever. But the jars of clay Paul writes about are filled up with treasure. What kind of treasure is placed inside an average-looking, slightly fragile jar? And why would the owner of the treasure make this unusual choice? To answer the first question, we need to look at verses 4 and 6. There, Paul uses several words to describe this treasure. In verse 4, Paul is talking about the light of the gospel, the gospel that is displaying the glory of Christ. In verse 6, he describes the gospel as the light of the knowledge of God's glory. In both verses, the foundation of the gospel is none other than the glory of God. This is the treasure. 
The treasure that is inside common, ordinary jars of clay is none other than the good news of the glory of God. Now, if you are a believer in Christ, this concept may be old news to you. And if that is so, I want to startle you a bit. Paul is saying in your ordinary, made from clay, prone to break down, mortal body, you carry around the gospel of the glory of God. Go look in the mirror. Inside that body of yours that came from dust and to dust will return, you are housing the glory of God. In the past, Moses commissioned an artistically designed tent. King Solomon built an exquisitely fashioned temple. Both the tent and the temple were filled with God's glory, glory that was not contained in ordinary fragile objects. But now his glory rests inside jars of clay. The primary ingredient of kitty litter is clay. Even if I were to dig through a huge container of kitty litter and find a three pound diamond, it would be worth nothing compared to the treasure in every believer. Now to our second question. Why would God choose to put such treasure inside fragile, ordinary vessels? He did it to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The grammar structure here in the original language shouts that there is a purpose behind God's choice. He put his glory inside mortal, broken people to show that it is the power of God working in us and not us working in us. God purposes that the people who will carry the treasure, the divine revelation, the glory of God, are made from the dirt, from clay. Last week, we mentioned some of the challenges within the Corinthian church. After Paul left the city, some other teachers arrived who were ridiculing Paul and elevating themselves. When Paul uses the phrase jar of clay to describe his own body, he is contrasting his weakness with the supposed strength of the fake apostles who were chasing after the hearts of the Corinthians. They were men of power. Paul was a man of weakness. He even points to his own suffering to validate his ministry. But he knows that as his human body is weak, the power of the glory of God is most apparent. God even increases Paul's weakness, as we read in 2 Corinthians 12, so that Paul doesn't become prideful. This is one way that God protects Paul and also protects the gospel. How about us? Why do we try so hard to hide or overcome our weaknesses, our physical brokenness, the parts of us that just don't work. Our bodies carry around the glory of God. This is mind-boggling. Why would God choose to have his glory dwell in our broken-down earthen bodies? The Word of God says it is so that it is clear to others that any overcoming we do and any power we display is clearly from God. God wants to show his glory through your life. He has decided that his power is best highlighted in your broken body. The contrast of his glory and our brokenness is God's design. It protects us from thinking we are as good as we want to believe we are. Our vulnerability protects us from stealing the glory for ourselves. 
There is a type of Japanese art that takes broken bits of pottery and glues them together with a type of gold filament. The repaired product is worth more than the original. I can relate to this type of art because I'm like a cracked pot with gold and silver bits shining throughout, restored by the divine artist. But this image emphasizes the vessel, not the maker. The treasure in the jars of clay is different. It's not about us. Picture a clay jar cracked to pieces, and the glory of God pulls it back into shape, holding it together almost magnetically. This world will see to it that we become broken. But don't forget, God himself holds us together. As one author says, we are held together by the power of divine adhesive, and the light that shines through these cracks is none other than the light of the life of Jesus. Our very vulnerability allows the glory of God to clearly shine out of us and display to those who have eyes to see that the power is not from us, but from God. Now let's look at 2 Corinthians 4 verses 8 to 10. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Few people have been persecuted as consistently as Paul. Let me paraphrase what he just said. Everywhere I turn, the problems I face are deeply painful, but they won't ultimately do me in. I have been mentally at a loss more times than I can remember. I've just not known what to do. But I'm not confused and discouraged to the point of no return. They keep trying to kill me, and they have come close. But my suffering is not evidence that God has abandoned me. I have been laid low, bullied, and attacked. But who I am can never be wiped out. Paul isn't denying the awfulness of his hardships. In 2 Corinthians 1, 8-9, he says that trials brought him such intense pressure that he despaired his own life. But hold on. We just read that Paul was not driven to despair. How do we make sense of this? After Paul says he despaired of life, he says that his circumstances were orchestrated to make him rely on God, who resurrects the dead. In his despair, Paul turned his focus from his jar of clay body in an impossibly dangerous situation and turned it toward the treasure that was inside of him. It was this treasure, this glory of God, this all-surpassing power within him that pulled him from the emotional pit. It's as if Paul were saying, we are afflicted in every way, but because God raises the dead, we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but because God raises the dead, we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but because God raises the dead, we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but because God raises the dead, we are not destroyed. Paul's belief in the resurrection of Christ and in his own future resurrection kept him from remaining in despair. When we consider troubles that we currently face and how discouraged we can feel, 
Our solution is not avoidance, and our solution is not arrogance. Denying our problems won't make them go away. Neither will self-reliance. Both will create their own sets of issues. Rather, when we are pushed to the brink and aren't sure how to go on, Christ says, look at me. I am the resurrection and the life. Applying this to my own life, I will admit there are times when I lack hope. But because God raises the dead, I am not truly hopeless. How about you? As you experience suffering, what difference does God's all-surpassing power make in your mortal body? Let me read verses 11 to 16. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose hearts. Paul repeats himself, we do not become utterly spiritless, discouraged, and defeated because the life-changing gospel of the power of God rests inside broken, fragile vessels. And through our mortal bodies, people are receiving this transforming grace. Even if Paul himself is at death's door, for him, it is all worth it. He had what we call an eternal perspective. He didn't lose heart because he walked by faith and not by sight. He knew whatever he was currently facing was not the end of his story. My friend, whatever you are facing, it is not the end of your story. But wait, you say, my outer self is wasting away. And I tell you, you're right, it is. But the second part of verse 16 says that our inner self is being renewed day by day. Are you tired? Are you weary? Do you need inner renewal that can help you and keep you from losing hearts? In verse 16, there's a contrast between the outer part of you and the inner part of you. You are an embodied soul. What you experience internally in your thoughts, your feelings, your desires, your actions, all of these things, which the scripture says erupt out of the heart, impacts your body. Paul is arguing that although our earthly bodies are weakening, our soul can experience ongoing strengthening. Notice it says we are being renewed day by day. Grammatically, this renewal is present tense, so it is for right now, whatever pressure you are experiencing. It is also progressive, which means it is ongoing, and it is passive, which means you aren't renewing yourself. You are a jar of clay, and within you is the glory of God. It is God himself who is charged with renewing and transforming you daily. This word for renewal doesn't mean whatever inner strength you had yesterday will be replaced today. The renewal is exponential, having an ever-increasing quality. God does not give you a limit on the renewal he offers you. Now, you may say, 
this isn't my experience. Well, it, it often isn't mine either. And although God is the one who does the renewing, Paul says in the near context that we walk by faith. There is a part we play, and that is looking to God with faith for him to daily renew us. The truth is, we get too busy for God. Or worse than that, we get too wise for God and think we can figure things out ourselves. If you're not sure how to experience this daily inner renewal that revives your heart, this renewal that reminds you that God raises the dead, this renewal that is slowly transforming you into the image of Christ, then by faith, look to that all-surpassing power that is inside you. Every day, if we want this renewal, if we desire to not live in our own strength, we need to transfer our dependence to God. The only way we can live intentionally for Christ when it feels like trouble will break us is to depend on his daily power to renew us. Verses 17 and 18 say, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. If we just read these two verses, we could wrongly conclude Paul minimizes pain. But we have to look at the bigger picture. Paul has been talking about his own troubles. In chapter 1, Paul says his own affliction was so great, it was like a massive weight, more than he could bear. He uses the exact words in chapter 4, verse 17, affliction and a heavy weight. But his perspective changes. He says that what he currently faces is short-term. He calls his problems light. And he takes the word heavy weight And like a math formula, he moves the heavy weight to the other side. Now it is no longer a negative burden, but a positive weight of glory. Where we focus our eyes is essential. Paul says our light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. In other words, when we have problems and we concentrate on them and become overwhelmed by them, we are not living by faith. And that doesn't please Christ. So if what we're doing is living in our own heads and our own fears, God will let us do that. But our suffering is not preparing a weight of glory, a good reward, a positive outcome in eternity. We're only suffering. And God wants much more for his children. How do we intentionally live for Christ when we are disappointed and hurting? The key is that we must have eyes of faith. Paul said today's troubles are light and momentary. The future's glory is profoundly weighty with good things when we have the eyes to see what we naturally cannot see. When we stop looking at what is surrounding us and instead obey Christ, and look by faith to our future, there is a shift. God never asks us to minimize our pain. He mercifully offers us the opportunity to change our perspective. He knows resurrection is coming. For Paul, these words of suffering and glory are personal. The Corinthians judged him according to their own culture, 
which said anyone who suffered like Paul didn't have the blessing of God. Their eyes were fixed on what they could see. Their culture had conditioned them to honor false glory and miss the inner renewal and transformation of a heart that trusts in the invisible. Our culture is similar. One of the biggest reasons people walk away from Christ is because they experience suffering. In our culture's view, God should not let bad things happen to us. Paul is only telling us what he tells himself. Our present situation is not our final destination. Last week, we looked at how 2 Corinthians 5 points us to our own resurrection and judgment before Christ. That may not have resonated with you because your present day situation is very real. It's what's right in front of you. But how are you doing with the troubles in your life? How often do you feel overwhelmed by them? The scripture teaches us that when we remember the unseen, the eternal, the temporal becomes manageable. When we forget the eternal, the temporal is all we've got. And our problems feel like they will never end. They only become temporary in our minds when we consider their burdens are nothing compared to the forever promise of our future. This isn't a psychological trick. This is scripture showing us how we are to view our lives. One day, the Bible tells us God will give us new bodies that he himself will make. When we get them, we will be home with the Lord and we will be delighted. In the meantime, we make pleasing Christ our focus. We are wise if we do so because all believers will give an account of their lives to Jesus our judge because he died for us, we are asked to live for him. This past year, I have experienced loss upon loss. When I think of some of them, I feel deep sorrow. When I only consider my problems and not the day when life will swallow up death and I will see the eternal weight of glory, I can start to feel sorry for myself. And when this happens, I begin to taste despair. But with eyes of faith, you and I can remember that now is the time for weakness. Now is the time for affliction. Now is the time for being physically away from the Lord. But the eternal home is coming. And when we hold on to this hope and let an eternal perspective lead us, we experience daily renewal and the all-surpassing power of God to live intentionally for Christ whatever light momentary affliction comes our way. If you are listening and aren't sure of your eternal future or want to know more about living for Christ, please reach out to someone you trust, to your small group leader, or you can contact me at reachtanzania at yahoo.com. Father, I pray that you will open our eyes to see your all-surpassing power in the middle of our weaknesses, our disappointments, and our troubles. Give us faith to seek daily renewal from you and the trust that since you raised the dead, the glory that is to come will outshine the pain we experience while in these jars of clay. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me next week when we consider how to intentionally live for Christ when we are faced with temptations. <music>